Welcome to Stuck in Misery, the best Midwest sports talk podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by my guys, Sam Retchen and James West. And fellas, Missouri sports at its apex for 2020, coming off a big win last night in hoops over Oregon and two straight victories for the Missouri Tigers football team. And I tell you guys, Missouri's really retained its role as the coach slayer Coming off its 41 to nothing victory over Vanderbilt, the Commodores fire head coach Derek Mason. And so Missouri living up to its role as the coach slayer. But you guys, really, this is really exciting time to be a Missouri sports fan as we wrap up 2020. Yeah, man, it was a big win last night for the uh, Tigers basketball team. I got to be honest, I don't think I've been this excited or, or had at least a positive outlook on, on the hoops team since like 2012, I guess we were all pretty excited that year that Michael Porter jr. Was supposedly going to play on our team, but that never really turned into much. Yeah, man. It's, it's been a while, huh? I mean, I feel like this basketball season kind of crept up on us as you kind of does, but there just hasn't been much hype around Mizzou's team in quite a while since we land, like you said, since we landed Porter, but Mark, you, t- you tweeted out that stat that said this was our first win over a ranked opponent away from Mizzou Arena since 2012. And so that kind of started a fun little debate, like or a fun little conversation that we had last night, thinking back to that 2012 team. Uh, and I mean, we there's so many guys that we just forgot about. You know, I, I, I definitely looked at the roster, so this definitely jogged my memory. But some of the guys you'll recognize, for one, will be Phil Pressey, Lawrence Bowers, Alex Oriaki, and Ryan Rosberg. But I just love talking about the guys that you probably forgot about. You know, oh, wait, wait, wait. Was Rosberg it, was no, not a contributor on that 2012 a, yeah, no, team. Come on, Sam. Like people knew Get him. Get out of here. So bad. No way. But some guys you probably forgot about: Keon Bell, Jabari Brown was sweet, Tony Criswell. Negus Webster Chan. I don't Curtis think Brown played until that next season with yeah, I think, Jordan I think, Clarkson and Ernest Ross. I think no. Yeah, I think, was it was that was that stat that you tweeted, Mark? Was that from the 2011-2012 season or 2012-2013? The 2012 bragging rights game. So that would have been when we were sophomores. And so Sam is right in the sense that the team did have Negus Webster Chan. Don't forget my guy, Stefan Yankovic, as well, the Canadian who was oh, a contributor yeah. to that Missouri team way back in the day, too. But Missouri getting a big win on the road last night against Oregon. James, in your backyard in Omaha, Nebraska. And really, that kind of – it fully exemplifies the Kim Anderson era before Conzo Martin came in because Kim Anderson, he's a true son. I understand he played at Mizzou, all of that. He didn't win a road game in three seasons as this team's head coach, which I don't even know how that's possible. I remember in one of his last years as Missouri's head coach that John Calipari is asked about Kim Anderson and the Missouri Tigers. And, oh, you know, I think he's got dealt an unfair hand and I think he does a great job with that program. And it's just like, hmm, John, I wonder why you say that each week because it's an easy W on your schedule for your Kentucky Wildcats on a team that is loaded with McDonald's All-Americans. Every single one of your bench players would be starters for us. 
So like, what are you talking about? You think he's gotten a raw deal? It's easy for you to say that because you know you're going to beat Kim Anderson and the Missouri Tigers. And so that's really the significance of last night's win against Oregon, a ranked team, number 21 on the road, is that hopefully this team can begin to get right and get back to the levels of success that we saw that the Tigers haven't had really since the Frank Haith era. And I do have to say, Mark, like he was dealt a pretty raw hand. I mean, Frank Haith left that program or left the Mizzou basketball program in shambles. There were NCAA, what, like recruiting stipulations slapped on the program. Like the program was in a bad spot and kind of in one of those situations similar to what Barry Odom took over, where it's like, I don't know who else like really would have wanted to come and coach Missouri other than a Missouri guy themselves. And they just kind of wrote it out during the rough years. And they brought in like the better coaching candidate once, once the prospects were a little bit better for the outlook of the program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I disagree though, because look at what Martin did in one season. And I understand that Porter didn't play all that much in his lone season in Columbia, but they at least made the tournament in that season in the sense that he gets several other key recruits, whether that's a Jeremiah Tillman, Porter's brother, what have you. I don't really buy that when it comes to but, basketball because with basketball, if you get one blue chip recruit, that can completely change and turn a team around. Yeah, exactly. but, I, but, but we would have gotten far, far less of those. Like we wouldn't have had most of those guys on our team if Quanzo Martin wouldn't have come, hired – hired Porter Sr. and had Michael Porter Jr. and uh, and his brother both flip over. I think because of that, we ended up getting Tillman, who's pretty much anchoring our backcourt right now uh, on this current Mizzou team. So it's, you know, like yeah. it, all, it all happened because of a coaching hire, not necessarily like because Kim didn't have the coach. Like none of those guys were considering Mizzou until Quanzo came in, hired Porter Sr. and then – it was just everyone following arguably like the, like the best player in the country. Right. And I'm, I'm tired of talking about the Kim Anderson era because it, one, it was embarrassing, but also I think we got to talk, start talking about Kwanzo's that first year. Let's be honest. It was a little disappointing. I mean, he brought in a bunch of yeah, great recruits, but I mean, we're all interested in, in making a run in the tournament. And so that's why I'm encouraged about last night's game because I think there might be a, a solid foundation that they can build this team around. And we're, we're going to have our uh, good buddy, friend of the podcast, Kyle Curran, on the show next week to talk more hoops. Um, and he'll really break down the Mizzou roster and uh, just the, the landscape of, of the college basketball season this year. But it was a good sign in the right direction. And I hopefully, you know, it's a sign of things to come. But let's not be like, oh, this is a – a great, great win. Like, you know, like celebrate everything. Cause there's a lot of work to be done. Like, yeah, we won the first time out against a ranked opponent again, outside of Mizzou arena for the first time since 2012. That's awesome. But let's not like bend over backwards and have a parade yet. Like there's a lot of work to be done still. Yeah. Like they, like Mizzou almost kind of gave this game up in the end anyways. Like it was getting tight there for a little bit. They, they, what they go, they, they went like, they missed like 15 shots in a row. Just went ice cold after being so hot. First of all, like they, they racked up a lot of fouls, but honestly, I feel I feel like in that second half, those refs weren't really calling an even game. I felt like Oregon was getting a lot of calls go going their way. I mean, like I was seeing Oregon like making moving screens that weren't getting called, and 
and, and so I mean, I was pretty, I was pretty unhappy uh, uh, with the second half refereeing in, in the game last night. Um, it also should be noted that uh, Oregon, that was their first game of the season, so we were actually able to have one more game. So we moved to two and but Conzo's got to lead this team back to the tournament, though, because that's right. what he was brought in to do year in and year out. We know he can recruit. He's proven he can do that. It is previous stops at both California and Tennessee. We know he can recruit. Can he develop the recruits and the high caliber recruits that he, he brings in? Yeah, he makes the tournament in his first season, but 15 and 17 in his second year, 15 and 16 in his third year. They've got to get above the 500 mark, and they need to build to make the tournament. And I tell you, I'll tell you what, guys, I know that the SEC is traditionally known as a football conference, but the SEC typically sends several teams to the tournament, and usually those teams perform pretty well once they get to March Madness. Obviously, March Madness didn't happen a season ago because of the COVID-19 pandemic that continues to be ongoing. But Martin, given his contract with the Missouri Tigers, he's got to lead his team back to a tournament appearance in March. And I think that needs to continue before getting into conference play during a game like the bragging rights game against an Illinois team. That's very formidable this season. So I would like to see him get back to where he had this program that he had them at in his first year as head coach of the Missouri Tigers. I, mean, I, I feel like pretty much what you're saying is you want them to win games and you want them to get a, a blue chip recruit next year. Well, yeah, James, but here's the thing is once you get into the tournament, anything can happen once you get into the dance, but you got to make the dance before you can see what actually happens. So yeah, like I, 500 is not going to cut it, fellas. 500, 500 basketball is not going to cut it. I was going to say, especially in SEC where, you know, usually there are only a handful of really quality teams. Now I know last couple of years, it's been a pretty tough conference top to bottom, but historically speaking, we got to take business within our own conference. And that really should be his focus this year. The D looks solid last night. The only thing that really concerns me is, are we just going to get ice cold when like shooting? You know, I, I just feel like that's kind of been what's been plaguing Mizzou since like, since like Haith's like first team, first maybe second team really is, is the shooting. I just feel like we haven't had guys that can just consistently drain buckets and, and offense that can put up points. Like defense looked solid last night, but at the same point, like we were up 20 points and then we missed 15 shots in a row, let Oregon back in this game and then kind of it managed to hold on to a lead. But it was just like, you know, you had like Smith, he, he hit like what, three threes in the first half and then he scored like, I think he scored a couple of free throws in the second. That was it, you know, and it's just – that's the biggest thing that, I, that I've seen from these Quanzo teams so far is that, like – and that's what I saw in the team last night. I was like, I thought the team looked great defensively, especially in the first half. They, they looked incredibly incredible defensively. And it's just like, as soon as they started to lose some of that momentum on the defense, all of a sudden their offensive productivity just plummeted and they were just missing shots. And, like, that's what kind of scares me about – these Kwanzaa teams so far. Let's move to the gridiron where off the top, I said Mizzou retained its role as the coach slayer. So Vanderbilt firing Derek Mason a day after the 2020 game between Missouri and Vanderbilt, South Carolina fired Will Muschamp ahead of the 2020 game between South Carolina and Mizzou. 
Arkansas fires Brett Bielema right after the 2017 game. University of Tennessee fires Butch Jones a day after the 2017 game. Florida fires Jim McElwain ahead of the 2017 game. And LSU fired Les Miles ahead of the 2016 game. So Mizzou football, the coach slayer, I love wearing this hat in the SEC because it's almost as if, well, if you lose to Mizzou, that's not going to cut it in this conference. But Maybe I'm drinking the Eli Drinkwitz Kool-Aid a little bit too much here, but winners of two consecutive games. I've actually enjoyed watching Missouri football again. That's a crazy sentence for me to say, but I really haven't been able to say that since the Gary Pinkle era because Barry Odom's best win was on the road at the Swamp in 2018 against the Florida Gators. And that's a great transition because – Missouri takes on Barry Odom, who is the defensive coordinator at Arkansas, and they'll go head-to-head in the battle line rivalry this weekend. I cannot wait to watch this one, and this is one that I really, really want to have just because I am of the belief that Missouri is in a better spot now in 2020 under Eli Drinkwitz than they were a year ago with Barry Odom at the helm. Mark, I'm with you, man. Like, I, don't, I don't know if that coach slayer is really – a good hat to wear. I, I see it more as like a condescending, more disrespectful statement to Mizzou saying like, oh, you lost Mizzou, like you're gone now. But I mean, I, I guess to your point, Coach Drink, I mean, he's saying he's doing all the right things, saying all the right things. And he's really bringing some excitement to this program that we haven't felt in a long time. I mean, there was those, those dark days under Bering Odom where I didn't re- even really care to watch the Mizzou games because it just was boring. It wasn't, really I mean we weren't playing for anything players weren't really like I I just felt like now it's exciting it's exciting to watch Mizzou going into the right direction trending upward rather than downward and uh, coach drink I mean he's built on a lot of he's already exceeded expectations in your run I think and hopefully he can continue to build on that promising start and the sky's the limit with this guy we've been saying it all along the sky's the limit with this guy we don't know where to get but so far what we've seen is great yeah, I'll agree with you, Sam. I, I think Drinkwitz gets how important a program's culture is in college football. I feel like Barry Odom kind of took over after Pinkle and was like, hey, I played for Pinkle. I get Missouri's culture. And he just tried to kind of piggyback on it. And the thing is, is like, I don't know. Barry Odom never seemed particularly bright to me. He kind of seemed like a dim bulb. I, I just feel like after every single game, we'd he'd sit down there and he'd Hope the thing is like, hey, that, that that one's on the coaches. Like, we should have prepared our players better. That one's on us. Yada 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 yada. We had a dollar for every time we said that, man. Yeah, dude. If I had a dollar for every single time, I don't know how many games did he lose. That's how many dollars I'd have. Right. We said every single press conference after the game, and probably after some of the ones that he won because he made a dumb call that should have lost him the game. But like, I don't know. Could Barry Odom become a head coach? I don't know. Maybe down the road, but he definitely wasn't ready to do it in a Power Five conference especially in the SEC. I mean, I'm glad that he's having uh, uh, some success with Arkansas. But I think Eli Drinkwitz understands the importance of culture to a college football program. And I think he's really instilling his own culture and really trying to build upon the Mizzou culture. I think, you know, in the press conference this week, he was even talking about instilling new traditions where, like, you win, you sing, lighting the dome. Uh, you know, in his, in his press conference, he's talking about like how after COVID, he's, he's talking about Bucci's, he's talking about Harpo's, he's talking up Shakespeare's piece. Like he, he gets you know, it, man. Like he gets it. He gets it. 
he knows the keywords that he has to drop to make the fans like kind of love him and they'd be like yeah man like mizzou like i remember that like you know like this, the nostalgia of like just like you know those mizzou traditions he, he gets it and so i think that's i think that's why uh i think that's why a lot of people are falling in love with them but i think honestly the main reason why is that i I remember at our, on our first podcast, we were talking about like, what is success for Mizzou this season, especially in a season where there's COVID. And I think we said like, Hey, if Mizzou can get like, if you can get like four wins, like, I think that's, I think that's like meeting expectations. I think that's exceeding expectations. And now we're sitting here looking at his remaining like schedule and being like, well, dang, like he could pull out six wins. He could have an over 500 schedule this year. And, and so it's like, I think like when, when you look at the wins that he's gotten and you, and you look at, you know, how he played against Alabama right off the bat, like beating LSU, even though they're down this year, snapping the loss, losing streak to Kentucky. I think what, what makes the game this week so big is that if he can win in like this, in the, in this rivalry week game, like that's, that's a pretty big statement win for the Mizzou program this year. And I think it just gives them all the momentum moving forward. James, going back to that, that very first podcast we had about, Eli Drinkwitz that hire and expectations. What I said was, it's not about the record. It's more about finding bright spots, finding a, a core group of players and finding a new attitude of the program. And I think he's found that. I mean, I look at that, that play, I forget who it was, but it was when a guy got hit out of bounds and the whole team gums up. It was Roundtree. Roundtree round yeah, round out of bounds. And it's like, when's the last time we see that fight, that pride, and that edge that this Mizzou, that Mizzou yeah, that's had? Scrapped. That's, that's scrapped. That's scrapped. Yeah. yeah. Like, you want to be playing – you want to wear that jersey. You want to be playing for your coach. And that's – I mean, that's a complete 180 that we've seen these past couple of years under Barry Odom. The team knows that they can win. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. And they're young. They let, me, let me hop in. Let me hop in. The right. sideline always tells the story. And that's what you're talking about there, Sam, to where right. your teammates want your, the best for your success and their actions exemplify that. And your team is united as one. The mm-hmm. sideline tells the story. It, look, at, look on any successful football team, whether it's high school, college, NFL. The sideline will tell the story, and that's exactly what you're talking about on that play. 100%. Hey, look, looking forward to uh, this weekend against Barry Odom. Mark, what are your – key takeaways or key key points you're trying to look for in this game? Well, Missouri's a three-point favorite against Arkansas. And look, with Barry Odom, I think he's a good guy. But here's the thing. Some guys are cut out to be assistant coaches or coordinators and not head coaches. And some guys have the temperament to be head coaches. And Barry Odom just was not one of those coaches. He just wasn't cut out to be a head coach in the SEC. And in my opinion, he's not cut out to be a head coach in a power five conference. That's just my opinion. And I know that Missouri and Arkansas battle line rivalry, that's the rivalry the SEC is trying to manufacture. But when you do kind of have that bad blood of a previous head coach is now on the coaching staff of Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks, you've got that tie there. I want to see Connor Bazelak and this offense continue to move the ball and have success. Something I really like about Bazelak in this offense is he never seems to be overly flustered, regardless of what the defense throws at him, whether it's a blitz package, whether they decide to rush for and drop back and play coverage. 
He makes great pre-snap reads, and he does a great job of taking what the defense gives him. And I'd like to see that continue this weekend, and hopefully Missouri can get its third consecutive win this weekend against Arkansas. Do you think that Barry has a little bit of an edge over Coach Drink because he has been on the sidelines for Mizzou? Or do you think there's so much of a turnover in the program that there's really not that many similarities between a Drink which coach team versus a Barry Odom coach Mizzou team? Well, remember, Barry Odom recruited a lot of the players that are now playing for Missouri, the Nick Boltons of the world. Like he recruited yeah. pretty much everyone on Missouri's roster. So he's going to know Missouri's strengths and weaknesses, and especially from his standpoint as the defensive coordinator as the Razorbacks, that gives Arkansas a tremendous advantage because he knows firsthand what these players do well and what these players don't do well. So in that sense, I would honestly give the coaching advantage a little bit to Barry Odom and the Arkansas Razorbacks, but Sam Pittman's done a nice job with this Arkansas team. I don't think anyone really expected much of them, and they're sitting at 3-5 and five thus far this season, and we're talking about an Arkansas team that's been even worse than Missouri in the SEC Conference in the gauntlet that is the SEC West. We've always conceded that the West is significantly better than the East, but this is an Arkansas team that has some good wins this season. Mississippi State was still ranked and coming off that big win over LSU in the opening weekend got a win over Ole Miss, and then they also beat Tennessee as well. And so there wasn't a whole lot of expectations for this Arkansas team, especially considering once they went to an all-conference schedule, it's like, man, is this Arkansas team even going to win a game? But even to get three wins on this season, sitting at three and five, I think is a tremendous accomplishment for Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks. And they played an Auburn tough, losing by two points. Uh, at then Auburn was 13th, so... I mean, we could have a little scrappy game on our hands this weekend, fellas. Do you really think that Barry Odom, like, do you really think whatever advantage he has being Mizzou's previous coach, do you really think it's going to be a big difference maker in this game? And I say that because I, I look at the Barry Odom team that we watched last year, and I look at it this year, and it just, it seems like a different, it seems like a different roster. There's excitement, like, right. like, you know, and it's like, and we look at it, it's like, okay, cool, so, I mean, Barry Odom coaches one side of the ball. I guess you can maybe give some cues to help the uh, offense against our defense as well. But like, I mean, we like we kept the same we kept the same defensive coordinator. So it's like I feel like at the same time, it's like you kind of do vice versa. It's like, all right, what did Barry Odom like to do? Like, like what are his calls? What are his tendencies? Like, what how like what kind of conversations did you guys used to have? What does he do in these situations? Like, you know, I feel like he can kind of go both ways. And if I'm going to be perfectly honest, if, if I'm going to take Barry Odoms as a defensive corner versus Eli Drinkwitz as an offensive coordinator, like I don't necessarily know that I'm going to say that Barry Odom has the advantage. You know, I, like I said, I was never very impressed with Barry Odom. I'll go on record and Mark, you can back me up on this. I think after a second season, I said that we shouldn't re-sign him to his contract. I think all three of us are in agreement. Yeah. 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 The game that always lost me was the 2018 game against Kentucky. And I have a Facebook live rant about that in the archives, fellas, where it was just like, this guy's not the answer. At the end of the day, that has nothing to do with him being a nice guy or anything, but he wasn't cut out for the job. And it's like, why are we settling for mediocrity? And I think in Eli Drinkwitz's first year, it's gone about as well as we could have hoped for thus far sitting, you know, entering this game with a winning record. I mean, this could potentially be the last game, depending on which games Missouri makes up 
considering that there were postponements, cancellations with the COVID-19 pandemic. But sitting at four and three heading into the final week, it's a really good spot to be in. James, I know you're, you're dying to do this. Give us your top four in the college football playoff as we start to wrap up here on Stuck in Misery. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple. Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Florida. Ohio State doesn't deserve to be in the top four. Cut and dry. They played, what, four games, and the only team with a winning record was Indiana. And when you look at the rest of the Big Ten, it's like, what benchmark do you even have to like measure if Indiana is even like a decent team? You well, know? it's going to be annoying because you know that they're going to get in. Like, there's going to be some way the college football committee's going to be like, I well, mean, Ohio State's the most talented. They deserve to be in it, even though they played less, you know, half the games than everyone else. Justin and Fields looked don't... like trash against Indiana. They put a little bit of pressure on him, and he was making – he was throwing balls straight into the, de- into the defensive players for horrible picks. Like, I'm looking at something like, all right, cool. So Justin Fields is going to get drafted very high to a bad team where he's going to have no protection and he's going to wash out. Here's your way too soon prediction for Justin Fields' future from James West. He's going to get drafted way too high. He's going to go to a bad team with a bad offensive line where he's going to run around all day and throw picks until, they just, until he just washes out of the NFL. We compare him to Dwayne Haskins. He is. That's who he is. Career trajectory. But I think he's I a little more mobile than Dwayne Haskins, but I hear what you're saying, James. And I would say that Indiana's quarterback, Penix, played a lot better than Justin Fields in that one. It's a shame he's out for the season with a season-ending injury. I think Indiana yeah. played really, really well in that game. An upstart team this year. Indi- I don't think anyone expected yeah. Indiana yeah. to hang with Ohio State. Yeah. I mean, you they want to talk tore, about caliber of recruits. but defense apart. Too. Oh, yeah. And I'm just sitting oh, yeah. there. I'm like, all right. And this is one of those games where you're like, man, like I wish we weren't all stuck in conference play. Cause I, I want like, how good is Indiana? Are they just, is like the big, does the big 10 just stink or is like Indiana legit this year? Kind of out of nowhere. I don't know. Yeah. You're looking at Michigan state and Michigan left on Ohio state's schedule. And it's just like sweet. Both you're going to beat. Both yeah. I know they're rivalries, but both those teams are terrible this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Horrible. Yeah. I, I, Kind of talking more about the, the playoff picture. Uh, I know I don't want to get into it too much, but BYU now pivots to play Coastal Carolina this week, both undefeated teams. And I know BYU and Coastal Carolina really don't realistically have a chance to make it. But my thing is, why not this year just open up the playoff a little bit? Because we don't really know how good all these teams are when they're playing in their conference. It's like if you have an 18 playoff this year, this year only, one, you can kind of get – a more of a feel for how an 18 playoff would look and two, you would actually see, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it kind of sucks each year how we go through this, this process. And we know at the Sammy, end it's going to be given in, you give a mile. everyone else, you know, yeah, I, given in, you give a mile. I'm yeah. with James on this. I'm with James on this. Once you, the, the toothpaste year. is out of the tube, it's out of the tube. You can't put it back <laughs> in. So if you try to Love expand it. this year, this year only, what's going to happen in the 2021 season and subsequent seasons. No, man. People are going like, oh, we want 18 playoffs. Do that. I mean, we saw the NFL said they could potentially expand to eight teams per conference in it this year. I mean, Sam, I, I don't think it's out of the question why they couldn't do this. But Sam just gained a lot of notoriety with the UCF fans because I heard this down in Florida in the 2017 season when UCF ran the table and – 
the UCF fans then claimed a national championship, which they've got at the bounce house in Orlando. It says UCF national champs 2017 because they were not in the college football playoff. But that's just the nature of the beast. As long as it's four teams, there's not going to be a team outside of the power five that gets in because there's going to be at least one conference among the power five teams that aren't in themselves. So if there's one conference that's left out each year from the power five, how are you then going to say, oh, let's invite a non-power five in? And especially with how traditionally we've seen non-power five teams stack up against power five conference teams. So they're a great story, Sam. And I commend BYU for figuring it out and playing Coastal Carolina and scheduling a game. And whichever team comes out undefeated, hats off to both of those programs. But you can't then sneak one of those teams in the top four and say that they're better than the teams that are ranked ahead of them right now in the college football playoff rankings. Yeah, well, then it, it's just a meaningless to even talk about these this game then. Like the ESPNs of the world are like, oh, playoff invocations for – Two undefeated teams, you know, the one of the I don't think they even play. believe that, Sam. Don't talk I, about that then, because we already know that's BS. I don't even know why some of these like schools are are even ranked. Like, why is Coastal Carolina even ranked? They're nine and zero, but like, who they played? I mean, who they played? I haven't watched uh, Texas State. Troy. I know, I know, Coastal Carolina beat Kansas in Week One, South and Alabama? a lot of the Jayhawks fans were very, very frustrated with that. But it turns out Coastal Carolina is now you know a ranked I mean? team. Yeah, I, it's just I know like, exactly it's what just you like mean, there's James. No, there's no out-of-conference play. And so there's no benchmark to remind people that the teams that are actually ranked in the top four, Alabama and, and, and Clemson, and I don't, I, Notre Dame doesn't really usually do that. But it's like they schedule these directional schools. And, you know, to remind everyone, a directional school is any school that has Northwest, whatever, whatever, or like, south southeastern alabama state like these like these aren't legit they're legit programs but they aren't contender programs and the fact that they're going nine and oh beating up on each other that this that just doesn't mean anything to me you know what i mean it's like cool byu beat army and navy like here's one thing though everyone beats army and navy their quarterback's going to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks drafted in in the draft next year and it's like no one knows about this guy because they haven't played on the big stage if you have a good quarterback they could potentially beat somebody who's dealing with covid i mean this is the year where a team like that could take down ohio state or could take down notre dame so i'm just saying like sam's here for the chaos sam Sam is here for the chaos sam because the same teams are going to get in every time sam you say that but knowing you you love the underdog okay to the fault you love the underdog that's why none of those schools Coastal Carolina isn't go- like the entire starting 22 players for Ohio State could have COVID. I'm more talking Coastal about Carolina would still lose to Ohio State just because of the recruiting disparity. Like, get out of here. Great analysis there, fellas. This is always fun. We got a wrap for Sam Renchen and James West. I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to Stuck in Misery. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We'll see you next week. Take care. It's so long, everyone.